God, we're grateful that your eyesight is so good, Father. You see what goes on in the dark, and that's just not something that's meant to threaten us. It's something that's meant to entice us, to move us, to do good, to be reminded that we don't have to spend our time making a scene for all the good things that we do because we're confident that you see us, Father. Lord, I pray that you would make us a church full of people that work for your applause, Father. I pray that you would change our ambitions, that you would redeem them, that as we live the way that you've called us to live, that our motivation would be nothing more than your pleasure, Father. God, draw us closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your seats. Uh, Good things are only good things if they're used rightly. A good thing can turn into a bad thing by one word, misuse. Brakes in a car, they're a good thing. Unless you're driving with Pastor Richard, um, I told y'all that I was coming for him. (laughs) Brakes are meant to prevent car crashes. If you've ever been in a car with him, uh, you likely haven't been into a car crash, but you are probably on the cusp of experiencing PTSD. (laughs) He misuses his brakes. Instead of creating an optimal distance from the car right in front of him, he gets right up on it. Good things can become bad things if they're misused. Disinfectant. It's a good thing. It's good to clean a surface that you're going to eat off of. It becomes a bad thing if you put it on the actual food that you'll eat. Good things can become bad things by misuse. If you're sick, you take medicine. But if you're sick and somebody throws you a bottle and says there's medicine in it, what's the first thing that you look for on the outside of the bottle? Instructions. You want to know how to use it right because you know medicine is only a good thing if it's used rightly. If it's used wrong, then it's not going to heal you. It's only going to make you more sick. Medicine doesn't heal anybody. Rightly administered medicine heals people. Look, righteous acts, good deeds, don't heal or help anybody. Rightly administered good deeds are the things that bring healing. Matthew chapter 6, we find ourselves in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus makes this shift. Matthew 5, Jesus talks about all these things that are going to stand in the way of relationships, right? So he's going to bring out all of these things that God in his law talks through, things that are relationship killers, right? Uh, Murder is a relationship killer. Adultery is a relationship killer. Revenge is a relationship killer. So Jesus is going to take 
all of these bad things and say, hey, um, you're focused on the fruit, adultery, murder, revenge. And you think that just because you don't have those same fruits, that you don't have those same seeds. So what he does is he looks past the fruit into the seeds that bring that. That murder is not, only, is not the only relationship killer. Murder is the fruit that starts off as the sea of hatred. How many of you have hated somebody? Adultery is not the only relationship killer. It starts off as the seed of lust. Revenge is not the only relationship killer. It starts off as the seed of wanting to retaliate. And so chapter 5, Jesus is focused on these horizontal relationships. How it is that we go about and repair those things. And so he's going to look underneath the bad things that we tend to do and help us see that the problem is deeper. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes this shift. And he doesn't focus on the horizontal things, but the vertical things, the things about our relationships with him. And he says that his main thing is not just to warn you about the danger that exists behind all of the bad things, But there's danger that exists even in the good things that you do. And so he's going to take this giving, prayer, and fasting, which at the end of the day were the pillars of uh, Jewish piety or religious devotion to God, something that's common really in all these other major religions. And what he's going to do is he's going to talk to us about the danger there. And here's one of the reasons why it's important for us To go to the Bible, not just to answer the questions that we have, but to go to the Bible to set the agenda. When you go to the Bible to answer the questions that you have, you assume that you're asking all of the right questions. But when the Bible sets the agenda, what it does is it says some of the things that you're concerned about are good, but it's not really the most important thing. It's like going to a bottle of medicine and you get it and say, uh, should I take this with Coke or should I take it with Sprite? Should I ingest it? Should I take it or, 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 orally? And, and you ask all of these questions, but on the bottle it says, just take two. It's not that those things don't matter. It's that the bottle is going to give you the most important things. When we think about the devotion that we have to God, sometimes we ask all of the wrong questions about these things. How much should I give to the poor? How often should I pray? When should I fast? What should I fast for? And you go through the scriptures and what you find is that uh, there are surprisingly few exact directives to answer those questions. But what Jesus does here is he gives us the answer to the most important questions, right? When we think about good deeds, we think the most important thing is if they're there or not. Jesus says what's more important than that is not if they're there, but why they are. So the very first thing that he does here is he doesn't start off with instructions. He starts off with this word of caution. Matthew chapter 6 starts off with yellow tape all around it. Look here at verse 1. The very first words that you see here are, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in 
heaven. What he's saying is that good things turn bad by their misuse. Or in a nutshell, here's what he's trying to say. God cares more about your ambition than your activity. God cares more about what your heart is after than what your hands actually accomplish. God cares about both, but he cares about one more than the other. And so what he's going to do is he's going to offer the instruction that we read at the first and trying to help us see, hey, there's this thing inside of our heart where we want to make a scene about the good things that we do. To make a scene is to make loud noise and to draw your attention to something. And this is what he warns against here. And the reason why we've lumped all three of these instead of one week on giving, one week on praying. Well, we'll do one week on praying next week. But one week on giving, one week on praying, one week on fasting is because you look through here. And although there are three different things that he talks about, He's saying that they all stem from the same problem and they have the same solution. So I'm going to go back and read through it. And on the screen, you'll see certain things that are highlighted. And I want you to see this pattern starting in verse two. And it says this. So whenever you give to the poor. Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward, or it'll say they've already received their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Look here as he talks about praying. Verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Once again, truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16, fasting. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I highlighted it like that on the screen so that you would see how obvious Jesus is trying to make this thing. There's this formula and he starts off with all of the good things that a good Jew would do. Give to the poor. Back in this day, there wasn't... uh, government assistance for people that didn't have. And so from the beginning, God has shown that his concern for the poor would be seen through him giving his people more than they actually need so that they can take care of the poor and show God's love tangibly through people. Praying is when we call on God to fulfill what God said that he would do. Fasting is when we intentionally deprive ourselves of food, something that we think that we need to remind ourselves that it's really God that keeps us living, to create this heart hunger for God. So he shows all of these things, and then what he does is he starts off with this word, whenever. Why? This is not for people that pray and don't pray. This is not for folks that give and don't give. This is not for folks that fast 
and don't fast. This is aimed at people who already do all of those things. The assumption is that if you love God and you follow him, that you're already going to do all these things. So there is time, there should be time to convince us that all those things are good things. Just take my word for it right now. All those things are good things, and those th- they, they are things that should be done. So he assumes that they're going to do these things. Then he gives them instructions. Don't be like the hypocrites. Instead, do it like this. And then at the end of the day, what he does is he says, you know, there's a reward for you. So it's not as if everybody that does it does it completely altruistically. That we do these things just for the sake of trying to do good. What he's saying is the assumption is, is that everybody in some way does good deeds with the hope that they would be an investment and bring a payoff. So to do good deeds as an investment is not an innately bad thing. It's a human one. What he's going to do here is try to get us to make the right investment. God cares more about your ambition, who you do it for, than what you actually do. I've got to explain this one word because I think there's a common way that we think about it, uh, that if we think about it rightly, or at least the way that he talks about here, it'll change the way that we engage with this text. Hypocrisy, right? You see that word repeated. Don't do this like the hypocrites do. That term uh, was a term that was used in this day to refer to actors, people that would put a mask on. And the mask would make them emote something that they really didn't feel on the inside. Yeah, I spent the last three days with my daughter while my wife has been out of town. And there's sometimes that she doesn't get what she wants. And so she puts on this sad face. She makes all the noises of crying. But no tears come out. So I pull her off to the side and I say, sweetheart. The lack of tears betray you. You're not as as sad as you put off. Go squeeze out a tear or two, and then I'll give you what you want. But right now, I don't believe you. Hypocrisy. I explained it to her all this weekend. (laughs) But with that word, here's what takes place. There's two different types. The first type is likely the type that all of us think. Somebody's words don't line up with their actions. They say one thing or they live one way on Sunday, but throughout the rest of the week, they live a completely different way. We think of it in terms of morality. Jay-Z in his last album, as he's writing this song to his daughter, talks about his grandfather, and he says, you know, his father's father was a preacher. But this preacher abused his daughter. And and he talked about how much he hated religion because he had this grandfather that was supposed to be a preacher and said one thing and lived one way on Sunday, but didn't live like that through the rest of the week. And hear this. That is horrendous. That is awful. Hypocrisy like that is the source 
of a lot of hatred, not just in our world, but in the neighborhood that we live in right now, where it's so hard to go out and convince people that God has a, that the God of the Bible has a love and concern and a care for those that are less fortunate because they say, I see everybody out here except Christians. I see parking lots full on Sundays, but throughout the rest of the week, I don't see much more. We're all accustomed to that. If we find ourselves in a place where we live like that, we may trick everybody else, but we know ourselves. Hear this. That is not the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus talks about here. There's a hypocrisy where somebody lives one way and their morality, what they do, their activity is inconsistent with what they preach. But there is somebody that lives exactly the same way from Sunday to Saturday and does all types of good deeds, but they do it for the wrong reason. And while the first kind of hypocrisy may fool everybody else, but you're not fooled, Jesus is saying the danger with this one is you're the one that's fooled. You can fool yourself into thinking the most important thing is just that I do all of the right things. But God cares more about why you do what you do than what you do. You may say, well, John, if that's me and I can fool myself, how do I know that that's me? Here's one way that you can know. Follow your emotions. What energizes you to do good things? When do you find that you're full of life to do good deeds? When do you find that you're most motivated to pray? Is it when you're in front of a large group and you think that you may impress them? Does that wane? Does it wane when you're by yourself? When do you find the most strength to give? Is it when you know that people will observe what you do? Does it wane when you're by yourself in your car and nobody sees what you do to the same people that you pass by each day? What angers you when you do good things? Do you get angry when you do something good, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, and somebody else gets credit for the stuff that you do? What makes you anxious? Look, does praying in front of people make you nervous? Listen. It's the same thing in reverse. It's saying, I'm nervous, not because I think I'll gain anything from them, but because I'm so closely tying my religious service to my opinion in their eyes. So if I don't pray as impressively as the rest of the folks that are a part of this church, they'll think less of me, and what's most important is that they think good of me, so I'm not trying to gain anything, I'm just not trying to lose it, therefore I won't pray. Do you see how sneaky it is? Look, do you ever feel like it's a waste of time for you to do good things? Right? Uh, 
You know the feeling, right? You put together an outfit that you like and enjoy and you wear it and you go out and nobody sees you with it on. So the next day, or maybe two days if you're going to wash it and hang dry, what do you do? You'll put on the same outfit because what was important was not you wearing it. What was most important was you being seen in it. Jesus is warning against this type of hypocrisy, and I want you to hear this. Listen. Audience size doesn't matter. You can read a text like this and say, well, John, I'm not trying to give in front of a bunch of folks. I'm not trying to pray in front of a bunch of folks. I'm not trying to fast in front of large crowds. Listen, audience size doesn't matter. It could be just one person. Have you ever been in a relationship where somebody brings up their concerns for your spiritual well-being and your first thing that you ask is, all right, What do I need to do? How many times do I need to show them that I read or that I pray or that I fast so that they'll now accept me? It could just be for one person. The size of the audience doesn't matter. What are you doing it for? Is it to impact or impress your kids so that your kids really know? Is it to get back somebody that you've lost? What do we do? Listen. Jesus offers the same advice for all three of these things, that you fight fire with fire. That the way that this sneaky temptation steps in, that you fight this with a type of secrecy to your devotional life, knowing that it belongs to God, it's not for people. So he'll say, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's a hyperbole, right? Our left hand always knows what our right hands do. But he says, do your best to make sure that your own hands don't even coordinate to give yourself applause, and you'll know that you're not trying to seek the applause of other people. That as you pray, sometimes it's good to just go and be by yourself and pray because then you know, at least if you're by yourself, that you're not trying to gain the approval of all these folks. As you fast, and this is crazy, that it's so sneaky that you can even try to gain the approval of people by looking pitiful in front of them. And what he's saying, make sure that when you fast, if you're tired and there's bags under your eyes, put on a little makeup. Make sure that your face looks right. Put your oil on, like, go out and just make sure that people don't know so that you can guard yourselves from those things. Basically, what he's saying is that all the things that you do for God don't need to be on your Insta story. That there's some things that can just be for him. Right? That you can spend a little more time, we can spend a little more time reading his Bible and engaging in the promises that he said more than trying to find the right light to arrange it so that as we take the picture, people can see all the highlights that we have. And that he's saying, oh, there's some things that are just meant to be for God. And that's the solution that he gives. But the secrecy isn't the only solution to this problem because this problem goes deeper. It's not just about doing things in front of people. It's not just the issue of 
location, but motivation. Why are you trying to do those things? And if it's an issue of motivation, what goes on in the heart, then the solution is in repentance, not just in your resolve or an Instagram fast or all of those things. So in order to repent, listen, we don't just have to know what we're doing wrong. We have to see why it's wrong, why it's such a big deal. What's so bad about this? I think what he gives us here in this text is he's saying that as we do those things, there's two people that we can do it for. We can do it for God to gain his reward, to gain the applause from him, or we can do it to gain recognition from people. And he's saying it's so bad because we're making the wrong choice. It's empty. And we're making a wicked choice. It's evil. Wrong choice first. Um, uh, about a month ago, my wife and I took my daughter to the beach. And as we go to the beach, we're in Seaside, Florida. It's this warm water beach. And so as you, like, step off of the beach into the water, what you find is there's these little uh, fish, these, like, small guppies, right? Um, and they're right there. I mean, if you're quick enough, you could catch them in your hand. Uh, but then there's a whole ocean. Um, how foolish would it be for it to be a hot day and somebody goes out there with a fishing pole trying to catch these fish instead of enjoying the refreshment that comes from swimming in an ocean? Jesus' point is this, that when we chase after man's applause, that when we fish for applause from men, we miss out on swimming in the ocean of God's approval. He's saying it's empty. It is the wrong choice because it's empty. Three times what he's going to say is this. They have their reward in full, in full, in full. You can catch all of the guppies that you want and spend your time frying and cooking them, but you will never get full off of them. God did not make those kind of fish for a grown-up to get full off of. You can spend all of your time chasing the approval and admiration of people, but let me tell you, you will never get full off of it. God did not make human hand claps to be the thing that fills us. It's an empty choice. It's fickle. The amount of people that applaud you has no correlation to the length of time that they applaud you. Ask any athlete. You can find yourself in a stadium with 100,000 people applauding you. But when the game's over, the claps stop. People's opinions change. Not only is the applause of people fickle, it is fragile. Isaiah 2.22, God describes men, you and I, as people that have at any given time a nose full of breath. That at any given time, we are people created with the dignity of being image bearers 
God has breathed his life into us, but he breathes it one nose full of breath at a time. You know how fragile life is. Where when people are trying to describe death, they'll use words like, he took his last breath. One breath is all that separates you from somebody that's not living. And what he's saying is, how empty is it for you to use things that belong to God to give to people that will likely be gone one day? And if they aren't gone, you'll be gone. Human praise is like trying to fill up a cup where the hole at the bottom is as big as the mouth on the top. The more you work to fill, the only thing that you're surprised by is how quick it empties and how, more you, how much more that you need. So Jesus is warning us against this stuff. Trying to do that, that's the wrong choice. But it's not just the wrong choice because it's empty. Um, it's a wicked choice because it's evil. And here's what I mean by that. Mankind was made to worship God and to give him glory. And as we do that, as we give God praise for the things that he does, I love the way that my sister uh, came here and, and shared, you know, you know, we're grateful for what the church did, uh, but we give thanks to God be, because of what you did. That's our goal. That as we start to give God glory, what we quickly find out is that God is reliable. We learn to rely on him. We learn to lean on him. You lean on the people that you praise. You lean on the people that you glory in. And here's why. Chasing the approval of people is not only the wrong choice, but an evil one is because as we do that and people start to praise us and glory in us and think that we're great for all the good things that we do, we're teaching them to rely on us. We are embezzling, skimming off the top of glory that should go to God, and we're telling people to rely on us. At the end, it's a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme that's going to make people frustrated in retirement. Bernie Madoff, uh, 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 11 years ago, I, I think, was uh, put in jail. What he did was he embezzled over $50 billion. So what he did was he took people who had money to give, and he convinced them to give their money here so that in retirement they could rest on the huge reward that they had. But they found out I invested my money in somebody or something that couldn't take care of me because it was empty and had no intention of caring for me. When people take praise that belongs to God, we are telling people to invest the currency of their worship, not in God the creator that can care for them, but in us who are one nose full of breath away. And when their life ends here and they retire into the afterlife, what they'll find is that their investment was worthless.
Do you see how the problem is not just making sure people do the right things? Because you can do the right thing in such a way that will bring harm to people that look at the right thing that you do and praise the right thing that you do and don't praise God. So what's the answer? How's this solved? Well, what we know from this text is that the God of the Bible is a God that sees all. He doesn't just have the, he doesn't just have x-ray vision where he can see behind closed doors or a face full of makeup to see the agony on your face that comes from passing. This is a God that has x-ray vision that can look and see the motives of the heart. So what we're reminded of is that God doesn't just look at our actions. God looks at our activity. He looks at the things that we do. The question is, what are you relying on? If you were to stand in front of God right now, and God said, why should I be in a relationship with you, right? That's what Matthew 6 is all about. Why should I be close to you? What would you do? Would you say, I tried hard to do all of the things that I should do? I tried my best to keep your rules and to pray and to give to the poor whenever I had a chance. Would you list out all the things that you did? God doesn't just care about those things. He cares about why it is that you did those things. So God's going to judge not just what we did, but why it is that we did these things, and if there was anything inside of us that did it to earn folks' glory, we are not going to come out on the right side of this thing. And I would imagine that there were so many amens earlier because all of us know a thing or two about doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. So the question is, what is God going to do to people that are guilty? What is God going to do to people that have tried to trade places with him and take his glory. Do you know what God offers the guilty? Do you know what God offers people that tried to take his place? He offers his son who came into the world, listen, not just to give us instructions and to tell us the right thing to do, but to trade places with us. We spend our time trying to trade places, take the glory that he deserves. And when Jesus came into the world, do you know what he came into this world to do? To teach us how it is that we ought to relate to God, but also to trade places with us. We try to steal his glory and we didn't succeed Jesus came in and successfully stole our fate. He traded places with us. God, in his justice, would not leave the guilty unpunished, so Jesus decides to become the guilty for us. He forsook this position of honor and instead came down and made himself hated. You know his story. 
the God of the universe, was born not even into a rich family, but to a poor family, small, lived in the boondocks. Wasn't much fanfare about him most of his life. And then around age 30 or so, as he aims to fulfill the mission of God, and he starts to do and to serve people, do you know what takes place? Large crowds form. People start to applaud him. John 6, Jesus finds a bunch of people that are hungry. And do you know what he does to people that don't have any money at the time to get themselves food? He doesn't preach about fasting there. What he does is he feeds them. And then in John 6, what you see is after he feeds them, he walks on water. Throughout all the Gospels, you'll have those two paired together. And what it does is it reminds them of God saving Israel from out of slavery. And Moses gives them bread from heaven. Moses splits the Red Sea and walks on dry ground. Jesus doesn't have to pray for it to fall down. They see him give them bread right there. He doesn't have to split the seas and walk on dry ground. He walks right on water, proving Deuteronomy 18 is true, that he is the greater Moses. And people say, let's make this guy king. And do you know what he does? When he's surrounded by all of this fanfare, that's the time where Jesus says the hardest things. And he says things that don't make the crowd love him more. They turn away and they say, yo, this is too hard. Jesus, I'm grateful for the fish, uh, but I'm going to go and live my life. Look here at John chapter 7. It'll be here on the screen. After this, after the feeding of the 5,000 and all that, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because of the Jews were trying to kill him. This is the same group, right, who... Let's make this guy king, and now they want to kill him. The praise of men is so fickle. The Jewish festival of shelters was near. Look, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea. Look, so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. Listen, for no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed him. Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. He just says, there's a difference between me and you. You're doing all of these good things because you, you want that. Jesus did not come to build this great platform. His ministry is so anti-platform building and just getting the praise of men for the good things that he does because he knows that it's the wrong choice and he knows that he's here to point people to rely on God. He goes out of his way to deflect glory, intentionally stealing away to pray. He's constantly surrounded by people and he can't get away to be by himself. So do you know when he prays? When everybody else is asleep. He goes out of his way to make sure that the things that are for God are for God. 
even as he heals people, he doesn't create a fanfare. And he often tells the people that he healed, hey, I know you had leprosy and you're dying. And I know that I healed you, but if you would, do me a solid. Don't put it on your Insta story because I don't want to draw too much attention to that aspect of what I'm trying to do. He's constantly deflecting all of this glory. Do you know why? Because he had a mission. And his mission was not to become an earthly king and win earthly applause. His mission was to trade his divine glory for people who were glory stealers. And the only way that he could do it is by forsaking the approval of people and winning the approval of the God that he loves. Humans are masters at trading eternal glory for earthly applause. Jesus was a master at doing just the opposite. Traded heavenly glory for earthly hatred. Not just for himself, but for you. For us. What does he do to people that would spend their time trying to steal his glory? John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. Hear these words. As he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says this, I pray not only for these, the 12 that are with him right there, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So this is Jesus' prayer 2,000 years ago for people like you who wouldn't hear his voice directly and believe in him, but would believe in him through a successive line of people that talked about him. Here's his prayer. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Look, I have given them the glory you have given me so that we may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Do you know what Jesus does to people that are glory stealers? He gives his life, trades places with them, and then says, I want you to know I did all of that so that you don't have to worry about stealing glory. He's going to share it with us. He wants us to be completely satisfied in the work that God has done. And if you and I are confident that we're seen by God, then we don't waste our lives trying to make a scene in front of others. We're free. We are free. For those of us that have put our trust in him, we know that we don't have to fish for applause because, because of what Christ has done. We have heaven's hand claps. This text is not saying don't do one thing just because. It's saying, no, no, listen, you have a father that wants to reward you. And here's the best part. God wants to reward the work that he started and is sustaining in you. Here's the best way I can put it as I come to a close. My daughter's two and a half, and we've been potty training for the past month. 
One thing that we've learned is that she's two and a half years old, so from time to time, she is going to soil herself. As she does that, do you know what we don't do? We don't come with words of condemnation. We don't get mad at her for doing what she does. She's a baby. But what we learned uh, was that here's what we have to do. We have to physically, at times, carry her to the potty. We have to do all the hard work, clean her up when she messes, set her down. And when she does what she does, do you know what we do? Celebrate it. She did not initiate the work. She did not get up and say, Mom and Dad, I've got to go potty. We carried her to it. We did all of the hard work. We cleaned her when she messed up. But when she participates in the work that we started, do you know what we do? We celebrate her. We go through the roof. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, 1 through 18. This work, being able to give out of the right heart, to pray from the right heart, to fast from the right heart, it's not because you and I took the initiative to do that right thing. We actually did the wrong thing. But even in doing the wrong thing and soiling ourselves, God comes in, sends his son, cleans up the mess, fills us with his spirit, carries us. He promises that the spirit that started that work is going to complete it in us. And when that work is completed, he celebrates us. That's, that's the grace. That is the good news. That's what frees us. So that as we talk about going out to give, we don't see it as an obligation. We are grateful that y'all are here. We're grateful. Uh, this was such an odd week, right, to preach about this text and to have somebody come up and say, hey, we want to thank the church for all the good works that you've done. Uh, but we just want you to know the only reason that any of us were compelled to do that was because we know that we have a God that had no obligation to serve us. And what we said was, hey, he served us because he had no obligation to do so. And out of a heart of gratitude, we want to spend our lives trying to do the same thing. We have the opportunity to do that. And I want you to know because of Christ's work, you and I who have put our trust in him, who have repented, from our sin, even of doing the right things for the wrong reason and put our trust in him, we already have heaven's hand clap, heaven's approval. We can swim in the ocean of God's grace and not spend our time fishing for the approval of men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the good news that your son did more uh, than we could have done, Lord. It's not just that Jesus didn't sin. But he did all of the good things for the right reasons, God. Oh, we're so grateful for what he did for us. Would you make us people like that as we are grateful for the work that you've done on our behalf? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.